And we're at a moment where sort of all all contradictions are heightened, right? Byproduct of the crisis of contemporary capitalism. This week in class politics. Classic fucking boomer. Old new left. Maintaining the relations of neoliberalism. No! Capital. No! Capital. No! Capital. No! 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 Ideas are international, but we're from cameras. You're listening to Dole Capital. You're with Ben and Jacob. And who are we with today? Today we're with uh, our friend Amy Haddad, our friend and comrade. Um, welcome, Amy. How are you going? I'm good. Thank you for having me. Uh, thanks for being on the show. Amy is um, a longtime Labor and Union activist, um, and she's held positions across the, the party, including within the, the left um, in the ACT. Um, so, yeah, we're really happy to welcome you on the show to um, chat today about uh, what we teased in our last episode. We did. Um, you know, obviously, two weeks ago, uh, big big weekend for the the global South, really, in uh, electoral <laughs> politics. Um, we we hit the the two minor notes, obviously, being New Zealand and Bolivia already in our show that we've that's just come out. But today's the main event. It's the thing that that stopped the world. Uh, it's the ACT election. It's very important to do a big expose. Uh, we did kind of cheat on you a little bit, but um, I know you'll be okay with that. Uh, we did sort of foreshadow that we were going to be talking to you and doing a special. So, but uh, we did cover the the other less important things that happened, New Zealand and Bolivia. But really good stuff, and that's um, that'll come out yeah really soon. So for our regular listeners, you've got um, some really some great content coming, and there's going to be more coming. Mm. Uh, for our regular listeners, look, um, yeah, hello and good on you. Like it's amazing, actually, it's gone really well. Mm-hmm. We've got more time now that the ACT election's over. I'm going to ask you to subscribe to this if you haven't already, this podcast across whatever Please. platform. We do, you can get in contact with us if you've got ideas for conversations you want us to have or people you think if you, you know, we should interview and have a conversation with. Uh, this is chatty, left, social, democratic, sort of socialist, democratic stuff. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, our Twitter handle is Dole, D-O-H-K-A-P-I-T-A-L, Dole Capital. You know, at Dole Capital, at Dole Capital. Mm-hmm. and our email address is dolecapital at gmail.com if you want to get in contact with us. Yep. Um, and another thing you can do that will really help us out is um, whatever platform you're listening to this on, be it uh, Overcast, iTunes, I want to say Podbean, we're on a bunch of them. Um, go and leave us a rating, leave us a review. Um, yep. That's a good way to get us up in the, in the searches. So please do that if you're enjoying the show. You know, even if you don't like it, I think leave a one-star review. It still helps. Yep. Um, so, joke's on you. So. Um, so, um, the ST election happened. We were all involved in uh, a campaign, in Tim Dobson's campaign down in Murrumbidgee, which was a, a lovely time. Um, the result for Tim wasn't what we were looking for, but we ran a really good campaign and uh, I think built a really good base to move on from. But the bigger story is that... ACT Labor returned to minority government with the Greens and the Greens having had a huge success tripled their representation in the in the uh, in the legislature um, while the Liberals uh, had a bit of a flop I think they were expecting their big um, tax anti-tax campaign to, to carry them over um, the, the sort of orthodox wisdom seems to be that um, the ACT government's land tax scheme which is you know every economist's dream of course is politically toxic but it doesn't seem to have worked out that way at all so um maybe i'll just put it to you both bird's eye uh view impression uh outcome of the election like what do you think is is it is the greens the main story of the day or or what amy yeah good question um I feel like the Greens is the main story of the day, but there's an interesting, chewy, caramelly 
layer of the ALP having quite an interesting story in there mm. as well. I think particularly when we look back on how long Labor's been in power um, and that we've tended to make some assumptions about the electorate getting bored or it being a contest of governance between Liberal and Labor with the Greens being an interesting colour in that but not being hugely significant. I feel like that's been quite flipped now. Um but within that flip to the Greens is a story about that narrative about electoral boredom not holding up. Mm. And I think that's there's something in there for us to interrogate today. Mm. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah, the it's time factor, Ben. What do you reckon? Yeah, no, that's definitely part of it. And there are a lot of layers there that people wouldn't really be um, aware of mm. uh, in terms of why did Labor sort of stand still uh, but didn't really, I mean, you know, you could say go forward somehow. You know, I don't know. Was it win for the left? Yeah, kind of. No, I don't know. It's mm. just, but we'll go through some of those things. Look, the, if we look at the results, though, um, I think Amy's right. The, the standout, the headline thing is is the green um, outcomes in, in all of the electorates. So ACT has multi-member um, electorates. In Brinda Bella, we had um, Joy Birch and... Mick Gentleman both returned in mm -hmm. um, Tuggeranong, which is in the south of Canberra. Mm -hmm. uh, the Liberals picked up two, or kept two. They, they lost one. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the ACT Greens uh, won one. And um, Labor was in the running for that third seat, so it was real. But a, a pretty amazing outcome there for the uh, Green candidate to win mm. that out mm. in Brindabelle, which mm. is traditionally um, often seen as a very conservative part of the ACT. Jin mm. and Dera, and I'll keep running through the results and we'll, um, then we'll get back to having a bit more chat. Jin uh, and Dera, uh, we've got Yvette Berry and Tara Shane uh, from Labor. Uh, Gordon Ramsay was un uh, unfortunately didn't make it this time mm. round and his seat was won by Peter Kane. Uh, Joe Clay from the Greens was elected, um, so the Greens returned um, a, a Green candidate. It's been a long time since the Greens have had more than two mm. in the Assembly, so mm. that was a big outcome there. Currajong, interest, always a, a big battleground for the progressive diaspora, I guess, in the ACT, in the inner north, inner south. Andrew Barr and Rachel Steve, Stephen Smith for Labor, two Greens. Uh, yeah, two Greens, which is pretty amazing, mm. and one mm. Liberal. Mm. Um, that's a big outcome there. Murrumbidgee, uh, another very interesting outcome. Uh, the Libs there with two, Labor with two, and uh, the Greens with one. Uh, an interesting outcome there because one of those seats was up to grabs because um, Carolyn Lacoita mm. uh, retired and that meant that one of those seats was up for grabs. A lot of us thought that the Greens were go not, weren't going to win that one mm -hmm. and there was an opportunity there for a third Labor person to take that one and that didn't materialise mm. in the end. Um, also interesting result there with Marissa Patterson um, scoring that seat. Uh, in the sense that she sort of came from nowhere is, mm. is a bit of a, uh, a thing for people there. Unknown quantity. Unknown quantity. Yurubi, yeah. yeah. uh, quickly. Alistair Coe, obviously returned, had huge name recognition, which you need with Hare Clark and ACT elections. Uh, Michael Patterson for ACT Labor. Uh, Suzanne Orr for Labor. Uh, a Green winning in, in uh, Gungahlin, which is something a lot Quite of people surprising. didn't sort of think would happen. Mm -hmm. uh, Deepak, who had a lot of support from these... Uh, South Asian diaspora, meaning mm. um, non-English speaking background people living in uh, Kagalan and into the north. Um, there was probably a lot of thought that'd be quite surprising for him not to um, secure mm. the seat this time mm. around. Um, and then the Liberals there um, with two. So what we get is a pretty amazing outcome uh, with 
the Greens with six, mm-hmm. um, ten for Labor, yep. and nine for the nine Libs. For the libs. Mm. And of that, the we'll talk about more um, later on, but um, Labor's left faction, if you like, is down to five. Mm. They've gone from having the majority in the mm. parliamentary caucus to five. Mm. So for people who don't know, do you want to just um, talk about why that matters? Like what the, the balance of power, factional power in the caucus uh, means for sort of what happens in government and for the direction of the party? Yeah, look, look for just like I mean, any, any other, or generally in terms the, of a parliamentary yeah. um, uh, party, and Amy might have viewers on this as well. Those, those numbers basically help determine who's going to be sitting on the front bench, mm-hmm. who's going to have a ministerial portfolio, and ministerial portfolios in ACT are pretty broad. They do a lot of work around a whole range of different issues. We are basically a, a glorified. I don't know, we're like a smaller version of Tasmania, but we're also a local council is mm. one way to think about that. Uh, we're not, our population is not far off the Tasmania, funnily mm. enough. Mm. Um, but that's, you know, if you've got the numbers in caucus there, you've got a more of a swing in terms of who's going to get what mm. ministerially. It looks very clear that the, the right and Labor, led by um, Andrew Barr, um, do at the very least sort of accept the Yvette Berry as the, the, the deputy yep. and um, it will be interesting to see what comes out of negotiations now which mm. is all going on right now isn't it in terms of yeah. who's going to get one mm. in a looks like it'll be a coalition government between uh, Labor and the Greens mm-hmm. uh, the key difference though uh, compared to the last time is that the Greens had a little bit of a cake and eat it two position mm. in the assembly on mm. the one hand they had one member Lakota on the cross bench, yep. and then they had Rattenbury inside, and yep. at times caused some problems because it was like, well, is you know Rattenbury feeding information for yeah. Lakota to you know play hand grenades, you know, like are you in the tent or outside of mm. the tent? Was there the allegations there? Mm. So, and also, um, I uh, read today that because um, of course there's parallel negotiations going on between Labor and the Greens, they've got to work out their um, power sharing arrangement as well, um, and apparently. Uh, Andrew Barr's kind of opened the door for Shane Rattenbury to walk into Attorney General now that Gordon Ramsay's obviously lost his seat. So um, that might be a priority for the Greens. I don't know what you guys think, but um, justice and housing were mm. sort of two big policies that they ran on. Mm. Um, I think that's not unlikely that we'll see Shane Rattenbury going into AG. Yeah, I'd be completely unsurprised by that. Yeah. Um, and it's close to his former former role. I think he's got a lot of credibility in that. Mm. Um, and it's just, it's like it's a safe role to put him in because he's tested. Mm. So I think the challenge the Greens have as they make that case for a greater representation in the ministry is they're all new. Um, but that is a feature of this kind of electoral system is you churn through even even if you retain power. So I, one of the interesting things is that both Labor and Lib flipped, candidate, flipped members. So um, they've both lost sitting members to new members. Yep. which is mm. what can happen in this electoral system. And so the idea that you should put ministry positions in the hands of more tested, seasoned um, MLAs is more problematic in, mm. this, in this system because you can't guarantee that that, um, I guess, seniority will, will flow yeah. election to election. Yeah. I wonder if that dynamic really blunts the it's time factor as well. Like... Uh, Having, uh, you know, made a lot of phone calls during this election, we did get a lot of people saying, 19 years too long, Um, I'm voting for Liberals just because I hate Labor, blah, blah, blah. Mm. Um, But uh, what I'd really like to see is people maybe grasping a bit better that um, you you can just vote for... There's always going to be uh, candidates for the party that you prefer Mm. who aren't currently in the government running. That's basically... Unless 
somehow, possibly, yep. the party's got four or five seats in, a, in an electorate, mm. um, yeah, you're always going to have an option to, to vote for a non-incumbent. So um, I wonder if that also probably, maybe it played a factor, I'm not sure, um, because I think the Libs certainly were expecting a big um, anti-Labor vote to come mm. in their favour, and that mm. doesn't seem to have happened at all. I think that's a really interesting question, Jacob. And my sense is, no, I think there's actually zero appreciation for that in the electorate. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there's it's such a complicated electoral system um, and not just hair clack, but the Robson rotation is just a bitch. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not until you have a conversation with individuals that you can point out to them, you can decide what this looks like yeah. and actually your preferences are really, really important. Um, and I have to admit, um, I was overseas when we moved to five by five electorates and there were people in the in the assembly who I didn't know were there and I'm supposed to be a, a switched on political person. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, I don't know who that person is. Um, but con- conversely, I think the other story to that is visibility in the electorate. Um, which should be easier now that the, the electorates are smaller. And so one of the things that I was hearing during the campaign was, why are you only contacting me during the campaign? You could have been contacting me for the yeah. last four yep. four years. Why haven't I? Why haven't I seen you? And I think that's really geographically variable. So where I live, I feel like this. Uh, listeners, I live near Mawson. That's as much information as I'm giving you. <laughs> Mawson Woolies is where you can find me. Um, I felt like there'd been pretty regular stalls out the front of Mawson Woolies consistently over the last four years. Um, so in my area, I feel like I've been pretty well served by yeah. the, by my members, but that's clearly not consistent across the electorate. And there were people getting antsy that yeah. that had four years of silence and suddenly all of these people trying to schmooze. Mm-hmm. Now, the, the other point, I mean, what, what do you think about, I mean, the, the, so-called, the so-called minor parties and independents, they did really badly. Mm. There was well, there were some of the um, the legacy media people who were talking them up, as mm. they have done for for years now. Because mm. um, mainly the legacy media who have been basically, I, I guess, it's smaller liberals that have been, um, oh, I guess, you know, the, the right liberal wing who are basically just being, you know, crossing their fingers and just praying to the mm. dear Lord that can we please have the liberals win? But knowing full well it was always going to be difficult for them. Well, if you were one um, of the um, if you're one of the eighty people who read the Canberra City News, um, yeah. you would have seen them um, campaigning pretty hard for Fiona Carrick down in Murrumbidgee, mm. which is an interesting mm. kind of dynamic playing out there. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's a real desire to to see uh, that kind of you know non-aligned, milk toast liberal candidate. As it's kind of odd because that like it's like they haven't learned the lesson from Karen Phelps, Charlie Stegall, uh, etc. Like in quite recent times, um, the idea that you can kind of knock off a um, an ideolo- ideological pugilist, somebody like Tony Abbott, and then um, that that will result in something satisfying yeah. um, is quite a mistake. Uh, the other example would be uh, Rebecca Sharkey recently. Um, like I think shaming her electorate a bit uh, by um, oh, yeah, voting up the higher education, education changes yeah. Mm. Um, yeah, it's another good example yeah. of that like you think what you're getting is uh, you know um, you know you're sticking it to the two-party system you're, you're kind of like you know gonna um, you'll have a, a battler on the crossbench mm. for you who's going to be looking out for you in fact what you're going to get is the status quo and maybe an indoor cricket center yeah I'm just um, thinking of the Simpsons that's right throw your vote away yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I think there are a couple of things in there like Fiona Carrick actually did really well yeah. and I was and that was that was my electorate and um, I've realized she's captured the Mawson Pond dog walking area um, and I've run into her a couple of times and we've we've had some interesting discussions and there are some interesting things to talk about around 
town planning, particularly around Woden. Um, and we also heard a lot during the campaign that there's a fairly high level of frustration from people who are in newer developments that are underserviced because the infrastructure is not working well yet so you know shops are built but not functional and then you get the residents in the older areas who think they're being neglected because all the resources are going to the newer areas so there's clearly a vein of discontent or attention paid to some of those kind of bread and butter town planning type mm -hmm. type issues and i think that's where fiona carrot comes from mm. but, but I no preferences the no, and this is the That's thing. The and so th that was the other thing that I <laughs> that I wanted to talk about. And I'm just sitting here and thinking, you know what happened four years ago besides moving to a five-member electorate? Netflix happened. Mm. Um, and I've been thinking about my experience of this campaign. I don't read the newspaper. I get all of my um, information from social media, mostly not Facebook, which I don't spend a lot of time on. I don't watch commercial TV. So, and I don't check my letterbox. Like I literally checked my letterbox yesterday and it had a whole bunch of election campaign material <laughs> in it that the snails had been eating. So I was like, I don't, I don't go there. So I feel like there's been a, a pretty rapid shift in the last, between the last two elections about how you can grab people's attention. And that doesn't work in the favor of independent candidates. So while we still have that competition between mm. the party candidates, they still have that aura of the camp of the big party campaigns around them. Um, and, you know, I was seeing absolute rando shoving stuff in my letter. Like I got a thing out of my letterbox. The snails honestly had eaten so much of it. I couldn't figure out what this person's first name was. Mm. Um, but if the tools that they have are letterboxing <laughs> or they can't afford ads on TV, they might put something on Facebook. Like this is a hard, hard campaign. Mm -hmm. um, and I think for an independent without or an independent group without a big machinery behind them that the capacity for them to make a dent is going to weaken over time mm. because all of those usual traditional campaigning channels miss the mark for a pretty significant part of the population, I'd say. Staying in Murrumbidgee, um, just briefly, did you happen to catch any of materials by um, the one and only Lee Perrin? Um, you might have seen his posters around. Um, they were printed oh, on on A3 sheets of printed paper, and they weird. said they said jobs, not words, yes. which was my favourite slogan of the election. I <laughs> actually saw him. I saw him putting some up. In again, in Mawson, listeners, that's as far as you're getting to where my house is. Um, I saw him putting some up on one of the bollards in like the square in Mawson, um, like three days before the election, mm -hmm. and it was the first time I'd seen them. And I felt like tapping him on the shoulder and saying, "Save your sticky tape, mate. Yeah. It's too late." I think he may have um, sort of thrown in the towel mentally at some point because yeah. um, actually Tim bumped into him when he was voting, um, and uh, Lee Perrin leaned over from his own little voting cubicle and said, "I'm voting for you, mate." So. <laughs> <laughs> I don't Yay. know. Maybe at heart he's a student politician and he was running dead to give someone else a boost. Yeah, it just doesn't maybe, work in this electoral yeah. system. That, to do that, that is a that is a rather interesting phenomenon in, in ACT elections. The uh, ability for just about anyone to go and put their hand up to yeah. run. Mm. Uh, on the one hand, is is very democratic. That's good. Mm. You know, we like that. But I think uh, Amy's key point is, look, with legacy media really having troubles getting their um, you know product out and people actually mm. you know viewing it and using it, um, having a whole a 
a machine, if you like, mm. having a, a network of activists and, and people on the ground that are actually mm. going to go and talk about who you are and phone bang and stuff, you're definitely at a disadvantage if you're in a minor party. And that's probably good analysis. I, I'd agree that's a good reason why as to why they, they did not fare very well. They might. However, there's some weird spoilers. So there's a couple of interesting ones. They did play a role at spoiling things for the more conservative end. Uh, I know in Ginadera, the Belco party, we can definitely surmise. You know, oh, yeah. Let's talk really about did. Yeah. I mean, there is that and weird... And there's name yeah. confusion as well, right? Yeah. yeah. So yeah. my, my favourite, like, Belco party story is is about... Uh, oh, what's his... I can't remember his bloody... Bill Stefani. Um, Tut or... Oh. Just done? Yeah, Tut. Tut. Yeah, it was Tut. Tut. So one of the candidates. Uh, there's a story... And there was um, more than one candidate? Oh, yeah. Shocked. No, no. <laughs> yeah, they picked up a Liberal candidate. Being one to well. talk about that too. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah. so there's this story from... Um, I think they're called Pause and Play, something like that. Um, it's like a... I want to oh, say... Oh, it's like a dog training yeah, facility. Yeah, dog training, yeah. dog puppy school yeah, type yeah. thing. Yeah, so... Um, you guys might be familiar with it. There was a great uh, Facebook post that came that popped up. I saw it on like the Canberra subreddit, mm. um, where the owner of this establishment um, they've got some some like empty land next to them, so they mm. put up they put up some of their own advertising and littered with corfoods and stuff as well. Mm. Um, but uh, particularly, um, uh, Alan Tut was bringing out his um, I think his trailer parking mm. there a lot of mm. the time. Well, there was some trailer action down my way mm. as well, but we'll get to that. Mm. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, the, the ghost head. <laughs> but anyway, no, so basically um, he, he had a boat sized out there and he's and it's a, it's a corridor. It's a busy corridor and like trucks go down there. It's pretty windy and they get blown over and stuff all the time. And he, Alan Tutts marched into um, the, the puppy school, <laughs> like all fired up. Mm. And he said, my signs are all gone. Well, what have you done with my signs? <laughs> and he's accused the st- a staff member there of uh, of tampering with his election material. Wow. And they said, well, I haven't I haven't touched them. I'm pretty sure they would have blown away or something. And and he's turned around and said, oh, well, you know, whatever. You you blokes, are, you, 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 won't, you won't be here for long anyway. Mm. I, I know about the planning mm. process and stuff. You guys are done for within the next 12 months. So then the staff member has gone to the owner and said, are we going to get kicked out of here? Like, what's going on? Mm. Am I still going to have a job here in 12 months? And she's like, no, that's not... You know, that's not a thing. Um, we've got like a, a lease for another three or four, five years or something. But yeah, he's coming in and sort of like yeah. strutting his stuff. There's nothing quite like a uh, middle, middle class what a power, power sort of, you know. Yeah, yeah that's always going to work well in Canberra. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, I think there's an interesting yeah. story in there about core flutes because the other thing is the Greens mm. didn't use any of this election. Yeah. Um, yeah. And my and so I think what we're see, I mean, my fantasy would be to never see another core flute again because I'm – I find them a real turnoff. Um but I'm only one person, so the the researcher in me wants to wants to, wants to do some research about yeah. whether these are impactful. But I think what we're zeroing in on is its personal connection is how and contact. Its personal contact is how you campaign in this electorate, and I, you can kind of see that with the Greens that they've that they've managed that swing, and they've ditched one of the traditional tools in ACT elections, which is the Almighty and Holy Call flute. Um, and is there something in that? Yeah, there might be something in that. Um, I, I know we look. We talked a little yeah. while ago about the, um, the the science that came in from the US. A really huge sample of forty five thousand mm. people. It talked about like big money advertising mm-hmm. uh, for the primaries in two thousand and sixteen, and there was basically the study was talking about like a less than zero point one percent in terms of actually um, you know voter yeah, conversion. Like yeah. it was just pathetic like mm. for the, the hundreds of millions of dollars being spent now you go and apply that to a like a municipality like the act it's like 
really the core flutes are just name recognition yeah uh, and but they're I not going to do much more than that and you can have too many of them to mm. put people off mm. and you know you might have also might be run detrimentally to your campaign if you go say. too I crazy think they're risky. Oh, in sure. some areas yeah. it may have paid off mm. uh, i know that it, it definitely my gut is that marissa patterson in ginandera who ran oh, a off, Murray, sorry, Murray mm. ran an awful lot of signs and managed to get over but i think there was a more of a voting um voting pattern mm. thing that played out very well for mm-hmm. Marissa, which mm-hmm. was the Labor ticket had, you know, three men, two women. Yep. One of the women wasn't particularly popular mm. among Labor voters, mm. you know, sadly or unsadly, whatever. Mm. But uh, there are a lot of progressive people out there who went, oh, I'll vote for Marissa, she's a woman. Like, mm. You know, that was a factor. That, mm. that definitely yeah. helped play it. I think even there's a, people have a natural inclination that's unconscious that's to, to, to balance it, you know. Like, yeah, yeah. so I even don't reckon that you could chalk it up to kind of like liberal feminism kicking in. I think mm. it's more that people just have a like a natural tendency when they're voting in these kinds of arrangements to just go like, yeah, unconsciously, like yeah, keep a balance, yeah. you know, like there should be, like we shouldn't be. Yeah, I think it, particularly yeah. in the ACT, that's yeah, really yeah. strong. Yeah. And I, I wonder with Maruta, she pr- was, she was prominent about her doctor title. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> which I thought was interesting something I think a bunch of other people have PhDs as well but to me that speaks of like um, you know progressive but well educated mm. um, I don't know why I said but between the two things um, in, in, in the booth maybe not a lot of detailed analysis or intelligence about who these people are so going with some of those gut instinct things well I want to mm. vote Labor I want to vote a woman she seems smart she's got doctor in front of her name mm. handy Tick. Yeah, I actually. Um, so I put my hand. I was like, I, I was wrong on what on that because I had expected. I, I don't think I talked about it on the podcast, but I was saying to people, I think like it's a bit of a mistake putting doctor I on all so your materials mm. because you can't have it on the ballot. Mm. And so mm. we were we were like um, talking to voters who were saying like, oh, I really like that doctor. Mm. You know, um, I can't remember their name, but the doctor, I'm probably going to vote for them. And yeah. I was thinking, oh, that might be a bit of an issue, mm. but it doesn't seem to have been. It seems yeah. like she's been fine. But we digress. We um, do. We yes. do. Now, I, st- I still want to talk about the Belco party. Let's, yeah. let's, uh, yeah. right. Belco. So this is like um, basically a liberal front group to, uh, that's was been, has been formed by uh, <laughs> former former president. Well, or, no, or just leader. Bill, Bill's had no well, he's huge had many positions roles yes, across yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Like the, prominent the Canberra liberal yeah. Bill Stefaniak. Yeah. Who, who went off to have a, have a job, um, I think it was the audit office or something like that. Anyway, mm. he had, he had, you know, he's had a you know, prominent legal career, whatever. Now, I mean, normally, I mean, we've joked about it. It was literally like he's the reason why he ran was one of these hilarious. I mean, mm. you look like there was an ABC interview where he basically was like, just paraphrasing it, just came down to like, oh, I ran out of time to nominate for pre-selection. So he didn't yeah. get his paperwork yeah. in. So it was just the classic sort of boomer entitlement. Oh, I'm going to run. But do you think that's and legit? Gonna gonna or do you think he's bullshitting? Because yeah. the idea was, well, like, that, do you think that it wasn't that there was a, a conscious decision in the Liberal Party mm. to run a, a front party, like a, as a minor party, that was they ran with the, the Democrats' mm. old slogan, um, keep yeah, the bastards yeah, honest, yeah, right? Yeah, they did. <laughs> Everything old is fucking new laughable. Again. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so like I don't know, I wanna say, you know, that actually there probably will have been some uh, you know, intentional choice to do that. Um, maybe not by the entire party and not by the party's sort of key decision making bodies, but some people some some smart fellows in the Liberal Party have gone, let's um 
you know, try our hand at the at the like populist, right populist thing. Yeah, mm. and it's like I don't. I'm not going to speculate on that, but I think the counterfactual is that he runs with the Liberal Party, and I'm not sure that the Liberal Party wants that to happen either because he's a threat to sitting members, right? Because he's got brand name recognition. So if you're already a Liberal MLA, you don't want him running in your electorate. That's extremely unhelpful. Yeah, right. um, so I don't. Ima- I can't imagine a scenario, or you know, if I'm going to run that counterfactual, my gut says that's not what they were after. They didn't want him to run for them um, mm. unless there's some broader mm. um, play going on within mm. the party. But I... I can't see how he could factor into the dynamics that yeah. we think are going on in the party. So. Yeah, which we'll definitely come to. But there's mm. one more. Um, uh, there's more movement than Bill Stefaniak from the the Liberals to the the Belco party. We also had VJ Doobie, mm. um, a local <laughs> businessman who uh, he initially was running here in Kurrajong, yep. uh, where broadcasting, oh, not broadcasting, narrowcasting, I suppose, recording mm. uh, from. Beautiful downtown O'Connor at the Polish White Eagle Club. Two six one two. Yeah, represent. Respect. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, or is it two six zero two? It's one of them. Oh, uh, it's maybe one it's one. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, uh, but uh, you know, um, suburban parochialism aside, which uh, side of David's? You know who doesn't? Who doesn't yeah. display any suburban parochialism? Is VJ Doobie. He doesn't care where he no, runs. He mm. runs because as long as he um, runs. He's here he, for all Canberrans. That's right. He, he was yeah. running for the Libs uh, in Karajong. Um, the the sort of the word on the street is that. Uh, being a prominent donor to the local party, I think BJ kind of expected to be able to mm. run his own line mm-hmm. in his communications mm-hmm. and that um, that Josh Manuatu uh, came down hard on him yeah. um, and then he eventually said, well, um, you can stick it. I'm going to you know, yeah. go run as independent or something else. And then he turned up a couple of weeks later in Gin and Dera mm. running mm. for the Belco yeah. party. That's right. And I'll also just note... So um, he loves Belco so much, he's prepared to advocate for that's it right. mm-hmm. from the outside. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 Scoot around yeah. bike paths. Um, yeah, yeah. Actually, yeah. to that, to yeah. that point... Um, I also noticed in the uh, the sort of you know six monthly gift disclosures that came out. Uh, I think these are the ones that came out in August or September. Mm. Um, the Belco parties, all uh, their donations um, didn't have any coming from uh, inside Belcon, unfortunately, or inside the Ginger oh, Electric. Actually, all their donations coming from Red Hill and Forest. Mm. Um, so yeah, um, you know, known air parts of Belconnen, yeah. uh, Red Hill and Forest. Yep. Yeah, I'm, I'm uh, going. With I the- think that's those citizens <laughs> wanting to keep Belconnenites in Belconnen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is there a wall infrastructure yeah. project happening? Yeah, the Great yeah. We're going to build the wall. Yeah. And, I'd prefer to build the, ball, the, the wall South around Forest for if I'm choosing to build a wall. That's where I'm building it. Yeah. Now, in any other headline stuff in uh, percentage of the vote wise, Amy, you, you, um, we want to talk about that. Or? I actually just wanted to quickly talk about. Uh, Brenda Bella yep. and ha- the strong showing for yeah. Tamus yeah. um, because you mentioned at the beginning that that's been traditionally considered the most conservative electorate in Canberra and the fact that it was a f- that it was a showdown between Labor and the Greens I think really mm. um, surfaces that that truism's not a, not true anymore yeah um, and so I think there are some question marks about what's what's going on there. Um, but I think you can potentially extrapolate that situation to some of those questions about, well, what's been happening in Canberra this year. Um, and so I think when we when we get to that part of the conversation, I think that's something to keep an eye on because mm. I think if anyone had expected anything to happen, it was yep. like maintain or maybe flip lib. Yep. Mm. But the fact that it came down to a competition between the, the Greens and Labor and that Greens won um, blows a lot of the conventional wisdom out of the water for yeah. that electorate. Yep. So I think the sort of, the traditional wisdom about the Libs strength down there, mm. um, back from which comes from um, the days of Zed Selja leading the party to, to some big victories, mm. is that it's demographic. Mm. Um, 
and that it's like migrant communities down there particularly mm-hmm. that like him mm-hmm. uh, and then you know also sort of I guess more socially conservative suburbanites mm. um, that are living in the older parts of Canberra mm. in older homes um, and who are more established mm. um, but now I'd say that the the, the the main factor is geographical rather mm-hmm. than demographic mm-hmm. it's it's the the proximity of that part of Canberra to the bushfire exposure is huge yeah, yeah. exactly so yeah. Um, do you think that's a big part of the the sort of bigger Greens vote there? Um, yeah, I, I do. Um, my parents live very south of Tuggeranong. They spent a large part of the summer. Sorry, I don't know if you can still hear me. They spent a large part of the summer being able to see fire from their house. Um, they were kind of packed up and ready to evacuate for most of the summer. Um, and that's both extremely traumatising and really in your face. And I think running alongside of that was a really quite stable and I think excellently prosecuted communications approach from um, Andrew Barr and Mick Gentleman in particular from from um, the SES, those really calm communications, which I feel like kind of set the template for how COVID communications happen. Yeah. This sort of daily yeah. briefs, mm. talking directly to the people, not filtering through yep. media, telling people there's going to be a press conference, you can tune in, you don't need to wait for the, for the media to tell you what's happening. Yeah. Um, I think that assurance really helped and there was criticism of it, but I think the criticism that actually not necessarily coming from the people who felt most threatened. And then, of course, you sit back, you have a moment to reflect on that suddenly the air is poisonous and your house gets destroyed by hail, though the hail damage wasn't so bad down there. Um, and so that starts to pivot into a climate-type mm. conversation. Mm. Um, and so I think those things would have been front of mind for that electorate. Sure, absolutely. Um, and also, so you, you mentioned Tamus Werner Gibbings, local mm. personality. Yeah. He's a coach of a beloved local sports team down mm-hmm. there. Um, and it's his, was his, I think it was his second time running. Yeah, so he's got a bit of... Yeah. Residual brand name yeah. recognition. Um, yeah. He 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 kills with the like I think middle aged women particularly. Very he's, he's quite a Important charismatic, electric, uh, handsome Jake, fellow. Technically me. Um, and yeah, so like uh, he he's actually his primary vote was considerably higher than mm. the the Greens candidate mm. who actually got up on his preferences in the end. Yeah. So um, yeah, I mean, do you think Tamus in with a shot next time? Um, do you, like I think it's probably going to be a. Uh, something hanging over the Greens' head in this next yeah. Territory government yeah. that a few of their gains are not solid. I'd say that probably Rebecca Vassarotti's here in Currajong might mm. be a little shaky as mm-hmm. well. Um, a lot of them were getting up on the fifth seat where it's very, very marginal. So, um, Yeah, look, I think it depends what they do with the next four years. Mm. So Tamus is showing shows that you need to be in and of your community mm. and have attachments and connections to that that are more robust than whatever the campaign slogan is in the six weeks of the campaign. Um the Greens have got the opportunity to build that with all the infrastructure of an assembly behind them now. And so I think that will, if they if they deploy that correctly, um, I think that will strengthen their hand. But as we've seen already in um, in Murrumbidgee and I think it was Ginadera where there was a flip, um, incumbency doesn't guarantee that showing. So you've got to earn it mm-hmm. within the term of um, within the term of the parliament. Um, but I think it does also, I mean, what Tamer shows is that, that those connections to local things like sports and community groups, um, I, like I'm going to not rule on the electoral um, cachet of handsomeness. <laughs> I'm going to leave that to you, Jacob. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. Uh, I'm happy to be the I mean, handsomeness correspondent. Not being a horrible <laughs> ogre is a good starting point, yeah. I guess. Um, 
Well, so yeah, I think I think he'd 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 have a decent shot if he wanted to make another playing. Mm. But I think we also need to keep an eye on a bit how younger smart, than some of the other Labor candidates. Let's smart, the, and I think that's an issue yeah. down there that that honestly we all need to think about. It's a yes. bit of an aged electorate mm-hmm. or an aged representation. Um, but it's a, I don't know. I mean, I used to live in the electorate a very long time ago. Mm. And I drive through it to get to my mum's house. That's my mm-hmm. solid knowledge of that electorate. Is it an older electorate? Yeah, look, it does does sort of, but it's not as old as Murrumbidgee. Murrumbidgee, yeah. where um, Labor increased its primary vote in Murrumbidgee mm. um, up to thirty six percent, so it was only like thirty four last time round. That electorate um, demographically has a, a larger proportion of older um, yeah. voters and and more established and mm. wealthier. So. Yeah, it's not just that in Brindabella. I, I think Brindabella, though, things have been coming for a long time. Mm. Um, perhaps the the fires, the hail, the you know, mm. the world, you know, having all its issues mm-hmm. has probably just forced some of these issues, and um, that's probably one of the reasons why yeah. we can explain. There's the definitely a COVID vulnerability yeah. factor potentially as yeah. we track that to age. But I mean, this is the thing. I mean, maybe maybe we might we'll, we'll just touch a little bit more on, on national. Um, mm. uh, Stuff, but I mean, no doubt those those um, co- you know look, the bushfires, climate change, uh, getting into the COVID. Mm. We've had crazy hail. Those mm. things are almost in, in you know inter- interconnected. And if you think about COVID, really, if you think about it, it's not like you know it's not a it's not just a natural disaster. It's mm. something that's actually connected to mm. Uh, mm. human beings. Now, if we talk about like you know, I'm not getting into conspiracy theories, but the fact is, increasingly as the world's become more connected. Um, good old neoliberalism. Mm. Um, diseases get moved around a lot more yep. than, than they used to. And they, they, but that, um, they, climate change is also yeah. a factor of that That's right. as well. Yeah. That's right. So yeah. it's, it is interesting that the, the national stuff did play mm. out in a way. And ACT is fortunate in terms of having a, a you know a well educated uh, electorate. Um, that's very nice. But it was interesting that yeah people. Um, didn't go for what the libs were saying. Didn't didn't trust them. Didn't believe mm. them. I, I would probably say, in the terms of the analysis of the vote, I think there were more the swing away from the libs. I don't necessarily believe was libs going to vote for greens. I think it was libs going to vote for labour, and there were labour voters who went and voted green higher up their list. You know, mm. I reckon there's probably a split. Yeah. Mm. So my, uh, but let, let's let's focus on your question. Um, Sort of my my I mean the commentariat around COVID is that it would be a trigger for a collapse in support for globalism or globalization yeah. or internationalism whatever you want to call it, um, and you kind of see that play out particularly in the manufacturing and trade um, discussion when you talk about scarcity of PPE and those sorts of things. Mm. But I feel like that hasn't bitten in the way that the commentariat thought that it would in March, and that actually it's focused in as a conversation on. Um, the robustness and capacity of government to provide social safety nets and re- re- revitalize the economy. Yeah. So I don't think people are thinking, oh, it's an out there problem. Yeah. And if only we were less exposed to it, I feel like people are thinking we need better capacitated government to, to be responsive and, and innovative mm. about how we deal with these things. And I think that's only more so in Canberra, which if you're going to pick a group of people in the whole of Australia to say, yay, globalisation is going to be this group of people. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, so I think I think the idea that, the, the, that COVID is a sharp representation of an external threat and that that turns people conservative hasn't played out. I think it's... 
actually a sharp representation of an yep. internal threat that turns people progressive because yeah. we've realized the social safety net is mm. extremely fragile and full yep. of massive holes and that that's, that's um, risky for everyone, even those who are quite far removed from that, yep. from that risk. Um, so my theory for a while, and I feel like the ACT is proving this, is... And let's let's put a bit of context around this, right? So over the last, let's say, 20 years, we've seen the libs move conservative. So mm. the space to exist as a somewhat socially progressive but economically conservative person, i.e. smart but rich, let's just call that mm. doctors, doctors. Let's call doctors yeah. as our yeah. proxy for this conversation has narrowed. Um, meanwhile, space for that group is opening up in the Greens because yep. the Greens don't have a necessarily coherent story around social inclusion or wealth redistribution or the importance of labour or any of those sorts of things. So there's potentially a broadening space in the Greens for that for doctors, let's, we're going to call them doctors, um, which I think is both risky for the Liberal Party but it's risky for the Greens as well because the Greens have the potential to potentially be an environmental Liberal Party. Mm. Yep. as opposed to a potentially progressive sort of climate party. Yeah, or, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I suspect in the ACT, you've got to split both ways. Mm. You've got, and this is, I think, Murrumbidgee is potentially one of those electorates, um, is like, I've got a really nice mid-century house and I'm a doctor, but I don't hate gay people and I believe in climate change. Don't like unions either. I know I'll vote green. Yeah. Um, and I think there are, I think, that population is probably fairly prominent in some election, uh, some electorates in the ACT. Mm. And then you'll have people who are going, I don't want to vote for a minor party, so I'll vote Labor instead. So mm. I feel there's been a bit of a split in that vote. Yeah. Only because I want my theory to be correct because yeah. I dine out on it. Well, maybe a good sort of case study to briefly pull apart for that would be um, Jonathan Davis, um, Green, new Greens member down in Brindabella. Um, mm. Young guy, um, mm. openly gay and, um, you know, like kind right. of a wunderkind, I feel like in, in sort yep. of like local politics. Yeah, but also, um, but like he's pilloried a, by the Liberal Party, right? Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, there was a really, really unfortunate event where um, one Very of the Wunderbiller candidates said has made some homophobic mm. remarks on Facebook. Yep. Believe it that. But um, uh, what I wanted to talk about was the fact that he's a real estate agent and he comes mm. from a real estate mm-hmm. background. And mm-hmm. I wonder what you reckon about um, is there going to be a you know are there now some internal contradictions in that um, in the in the sort of in the Greens caucus. From that seat, I wonder what you guys think about this. Um, is this going to be a case of you know someone from the professional classes, socially progressive, um, but tied to a certain set of professional you know? Doesn't hit a stereotype, um, does it? Is it going to create a yeah. bit of a a bit of um, conflict within the Greens, possibly, given that they really ran on a really pretty radical mm. uh, housing policy, which mm. includes um, massively expanding the ACT's public housing stock, obviously. Um, will have the effect of lowering rents, for example. Mm. Um, what do you guys reckon? I kind of think that that might be a little bit of a friction friction point. But this is the inherent challenge with the Greens, right? And this is not new. They're uh, an environmental party that has a social policy that can be moved by its members. So they don't have an ideological platform, in my view. They don't have an ideological platform inherently based in class analysis mm. or the role of organised labour which means their engagement with that topic and how they can um, translate that into policy is influenced by the democratic processes they have in their party. And so it's a very democratic party, and so that shift can happen a lot. But I don't, I don't think in the Australian Greens you can say that they're ideologically opposed to real estate agents. 
Mm. Because that's not what that party is. That party is ideologically opposed to environmental destruction, mm. um, which is a great thing to be ideologically opposed to, but that's really the end of their, of their unmovable ideology. Yeah. Um, and maybe ideology should never be unmovable, but that's, that's the... That's the um, that's the value difference between the Greens and Labor. But I think in there is the lesson for the left. Right, yes. Um, so for me, there's not a single challenge in this entire fire of a year that doesn't have as a core part of its solution an engagement with and a strengthening of organised labour. Mm. Not a single solution, but that the way that we do that, I think needs to evolve really quite rapidly in order to meet those challenges. Yeah, look, I, I think Amy makes some really good points there. But I, I, one thing though we need to, look, simplistically we can go, okay, someone has comes from a particular background or whatever. I, I think the... People's relationship to production can have uh, an influence on where their politics is and their grounding, and I absolutely agree where Amy's coming from in terms of the, the fluidity that you can have in the, in the Green Party. Um, however, we also have those sort of currents in, in Labor, yep. and, and I think you're dead right, uh, spot on. Uh, there are some real challenges in the left for the left in mm-hmm. the ACT Labor um, over the material interests of mm-hmm. those that are currently in um, the movers and shakers in the left. In the ACT, who was um, very diametrically, not necessarily on the same page as someone who goes and sells their labour. There's plenty of them in there who are doing some other rather different things um, and a different agenda, um, so to speak. So those tensions also exist uh, in, in labour as well in terms of what well, you know how grounded people are in terms of going to work and that sort of stuff. Um, but that's one thing I thought with that one. Yeah. But. Um, I did notice, though, like what was impressive, the fact that they, they did do core flutes around people's houses. You know, if you were mm. a supporter, you could get a core flute. They did do the newsletters, but their newsletters were different, I thought, was the sense that they outlined a very... That, look, they set the tanks up on our grass is what, what happened. They ran on a very, you know, hard mm. spelt out position about their climate change policy, which is far more pronounced than what ACT branch actually put out. They ran on a very um, hard left sort of position on what they were doing with housing. We can't but applaud what they broke down and yeah, ran. Great. I was like, mm. great, good Absolutely. on you. Let's do that. We should be doing that. Mm-hmm. Uh, they also talked a lot about um, inequality and social injustice, mm. and they did it in a way which was far more pronounced and I think a lot more thought out than um, we saw some slogans mm. were sort of, you know, materialised out of nowhere in the last coming dying days of the campaign about oh, Labor will bring 3,000 jobs or something to Murrumbidgee or, mm. you know, stuff like that. It was all a bit come little, come late. Yeah, but I think come, you make a good point. Yeah. And I'm not suggesting that the Greens um, don't have some really solid, socially mm. progressive policy. And honestly, good on them for that. Yeah, That's great. Yeah, it's mm. great to see that articulated and 100% agree around housing, which I think is probably a weak spot for the ALP. Um, sort of my broader point was within that is a tolerance for anyone who can align themselves to that mm, yeah. and there's not going to be an ideological opposition to real estate agents yeah. i don't know that we have an ideological opposition to real estate no, agents but also one of the points i, I want to make is yeah. i don't know that being a real estate agent is a calling maybe it's just a job and <laughs> jonathan doesn't want to do that job anymore yeah. in which case welcome sir yeah. to the to the legislative assembly yeah yeah cool i think that, that takes us quite nicely to really the you know was so what was the outcome, ACT mm. election like? Mm. Mm. There is the rubber. The legacy media, uh, I think, is grappling with the outcome. On the one hand, they, they sort of they get that, okay, it's a big win for the Greens. Um, but really, was it a win for the left? 
Mm. What do you What do you think, Amy? Are you going to talk about the ALP left or the left conceptually? I think the left movement? conceptually, and then I think we can really probably narrow the I'm going to get out my big yes stamp on this. Yeah, right. I'm going to mm-hmm. say that's a win for the left. Mm. Yeah. Yep. Um, like for so, this is where I want this territory to be going. Yeah, 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 okay. uh, and the fact that it's going in this du- this direction under yeah. the steam of the Greens is one question, yeah. but this is where I would like it to be. Thank you very much, sir. Yeah, hmm. yeah. Um, I think uh, the ACT uh, is often touted correctly as like an example of the successes that can be had when Labor and the Greens govern in coalition together. Um, and generally, it's very healthy and very very good. And Hair Clark allows that because mm. it's much more proportionally representative um, than, you know, any other system um, that's used in Australia or basically anywhere else. In the world. Um, We're very special. Yeah, we're lucky. Um, And so, yeah, I mean, uh, it's really good to see. Um, And if it hopefully also tempers the attitudes of some people in other branches, state and federal, um, towards the Greens and their sort of the idea that um, the Greens are mowing their grass by coming in with good progressive policies and mm. yeah that's all for the better too i think that's really good um yep. so we will at some point also come to talking about whether this is going to have any bearing on the forthcoming queensland election which is going to be tomorrow from when we're recording um but yeah in general i think also i think it's a positive thing for the left mm. yeah what do you reckon Ben? have you got a dissenting oh, look, opinion I, I, I think look, I, I think uh, the headline is it's a it's a victory for progressive politics in the territory and probably look and, and nationally it's uh an interesting one. The national stuff to draw from it would be, despite a time factor, uh, the conservative forces were unable to to deliver um, because I think big key things like mm. um, uh, climate change, the bushfires, mm. um, the, that, that sort of situation thrown in with COVID um, really did uh, benefit the incumbent government. But more can I just pause you on that though? Like if you yeah. took COVID off the table and you yeah. took this bushfire season off the table, yeah. we've had 19 years to come up with something yeah, better true, than co yeah, in yeah. boxing gloves or standing next to a, yeah. an esky. Mm. Like, you've got two decades to be more sophisticated than you yeah. were in this election, and yeah. you, I don't, to shoot to shoot the blame for this <laughs> at some stuff that happened yeah. is like lame. They weren't even, they weren't even badly yeah. thought out stunts. They were unthought out stunts yeah. they were they were rip-offs of boris johnson stunts yep. someone yep. got a youtube subscription or something to you know johnson's greatest hits well apparently um josh manuatu who came in and ran the campaign for the liberals in, in the act um and formerly from angus taylor's office and um allied and worked for um erica betts as well mm. um that he uh, he over over the uh, the australian summer he went and had a little holiday in the uk and was actually hanging out with um with conservative party um, you know, officials and campaigners a mm. lot, and so it actually looks like he has literally just cribbed the Boris Johnson playbook. Thinking, I mean, Boris Johnson, Boris Johnson's like a big personality. He's got like a whole personal backstory and everything. He was mayor mm. of London, yeah. and he does his whole like foppish, like uh, boobery He's like thing. A and people, haystack. Yeah, and it works. Mm. But you can't just take the same boobery and give it to yeah, yeah. a you know, like a thumb in a suit, like Alistair Coe. Yeah, and Alistair Coe is not a big personality. He looks nervous all of the time yeah, and yeah. the ACT isn't the UK we've got compulsory voting we're not controlled by the Murdoch mm, press right. it's extremely smart yeah, electorate, educated, and yeah. it's a bitch of a place to campaign in yeah. um, so that kind of stuff isn't going to cut through. like the fact that he failed to understand the need yeah. for translation is um, astonishing yeah, yeah. 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 yeah no look and you know I did right I'm, I'm not trying to excuse the fact that 
you know, if we didn't have those things, the Libs would have won. I actually, and to some extent, I actually kind of don't care about the fortunes of the Libs. Mm. Only, yeah. only in so far as like if they won, it would have been bad, okay, mm. for the class, right? But I think the bigger question I think is like, I think the left generally, uh, I think the Greens demonstrated with their the material they put out mm. that you could actually run a harder, yeah, uh, harder, more comprehensive position about where we should go as a society. Mm-hmm. Now, mm. sadly, the ACT branch of the Labor Party did not do that. But there is that was, only possible? Uh, is that only possible because there's a relatively, you know, towards the centre of the centre left Labor Party um, that you you've got in the in the pl- in the game as well? I just think it's just conservatism yeah. in the centre. Yeah. I, I think run, the material that they put out, the territory wide material that they put out, when when they did put territory wide mm. material, it was like uh, we're great, we're really progressive. Yeah. Um, let's not not throw the, the um, baby yeah. out with yeah. a bathwater. Yeah. Now that's that's, that's fine, what I mean, but that's not that's, really a transformative agenda, is it? But I no, think the challenge yeah. with that is when you've been in when you've been in government for as long as the Labor Party has, to, to turn around and suddenly be transformed, it's like, oh, why didn't you think of this mm. this earlier? And what's, I think, a bit disappointing is that COVID is the perfect mm. pivot point. Mm. Yeah. Um, and they can, we, can, we can continue to pivot. We're in government. We can pivot mm-hmm. and build a narrative around, yeah. it turns out the greatest threat to any of us is social inequality. Mm. And what we can do is shore that up so that the next time there's a crisis... We can catch it and we can repair and we can move mm. forward. And those repairs look like this. They look like dealing with education. They mm. look like dealing with housing. They look like dealing with transport. They look yep. like dealing with all of those things. That pivot needs to happen. And I, I 100% agree with what you're saying, Ben. But electorally, I think it's really hard to turn around after 20 years and go, oh, we're going to be way more progressive than we've ever been before because yeah. you have to admit that you failed mm. to do that earlier. Mm. So unless you've got an inflection point that makes that make sense, mm-hmm. and it, those inflection points, frankly, aren't that hard to come up with. It's like, oh, we've done the we've done the basic work now. Now it's time to do the transformative stuff, or we've shored this up, and now we can mm. innovate. But you need a pivot point if you're going to wait yeah. twenty years to get mm. on with being mm. extra progressive. So, well, um, yeah. I but uh, to the, your question about like would would Labor still have won mm. done as well um, if not for the sort of natural disaster factor and the way that that creates this perception that really shores up the strength of the government and um, also reinforces people's sense of their dependency on the government on, on the state um, we would have had the a pure you know land tax the Liberals would have won basically mm. this, run basically the same uh, campaign. rates campaign yep. right so um, I sort of touched on this before but maybe we could get a little bit mm. more into it is like. Um, I described it as like the economist's wet dream. It's like re- basically replacing stamp duty, which mm-hmm. is like a huge charge that you pay when you buy a house, um, uh, with a land tax, which is like a, an annual you know rate that you mm-hmm. pay based on the value of your property. Mm-hmm. Or is it based on the value of your it's land? It's the value of yeah. your land, yeah. yeah. So um, it's uh, highly regarded by economists because it's, supposed to, it's a much more efficient way to you know raise revenue. Mm-hmm. It's a more stable revenue basis mm-hmm. in the sense that... Um, if you don't have as many people um, coming in and out of your city mm. buying and selling property mm. um, and you don't have as much opportunity for um, horizontal expansion, which we don't because we're a small territory and mm. we actually have a border that we'll hit at some point, yeah. um, a land tax is a much more sort of stable and long-term mm-hmm. sensible way to fund your government, but it's regarded as completely politically toxic. Mm. So the Liberals would have run that campaign mm. and I reckon they would have probably found out, as they, as they have, that... It's actually not that politically toxic. No, I think I basically um, there are probably just more people who do own houses, pay their rates, 
and might even not like how high their rates are, mm. who would never vote for the Liberal mm. Party, um, then there are people who are angry enough about it that they would think to kind of, you know, switch their vote over, mm. especially given what a sort of culturally um, mm. reactionary party we have here in the ACT. Yeah, and I, what I find fascinating about that is that we can have a big... Uh, housing policy from the Greens, which is an admission that there's a housing issue and that there's an inequality of housing. Most mm. people don't own property. They don't give a shit about property tax. They just need somewhere to live. Mm, yeah. And so to be in an electorate where you're simultaneously complaining about property tax, which you can only complain about if you own a house yeah. and have a concern about housing, it's like sooner or later you're going to have to do the maths mm. on that. Um, and I think the ACT is the kind of electorate where people who own property maybe not all of them hate paying tax for that because that's the price of being in a society i love paying taxes with my by civilization who's who's that i don't know someone yeah that's ned flanders no surely it's somebody else yes no he loves paying taxes he does they just pay they pay for things like sunshine and the post office and (laughs) those people those good folk who don't want to work god bless them um and like i own a house and i pay tax on it because i should pay tax on that house um, and I am in a privileged position, so why not pay tax you know, on the basis of one of the most privileged things that can happen to someone in Australia right now? So I feel like the um, the simplification of the tax of the land tax issue by the Libs is was going to not net yeah. the glory yeah. that they thought it would because it's more complicated than that. I, I saw the argument yeah. also. I suppose like against my own point. Um, I think it was it's Peter Brent who does the, the mumbler column in, in um, Inside Story um, talking about how one uh, of the consequences of uh, COVID specifically is that it he reckons it sort of turned people to thinking more about, uh, you know, collective mm-hmm. uh, solutions to collective Absolutely. problems. Yep. And so it was the fact that the, the Liberals' argument is one about household insecurity yeah. or like, you know, the individual well-being yeah. rather than a yeah. sort of collective response to collective problems. Mm. That was what really screwed problems, them. So, yeah. so I think actually maybe you know, the land tax thing, it doesn't come in a vacuum. We can't think about it that way necessarily because there's always also, bigger objective factors as well. Yeah, but they also shot themselves in the foot by saying they deliver more services but somehow have less yeah, revenue. They never outweigh would yeah. explain that. And you know, if there's anywhere on the planet that people do maths... Mm. Yeah, yeah. It's people here. people hate so, a magic pudding. It's like we we we, we uh, understand the in, the inherent impossibility of the words yeah. you just said. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And also, we, maybe are, we don't want people moving back from Queanbeyan. You know, well, maybe I've we want nothing to stay. Good no, I'm just kidding. Good I mean, personally, I think no. we should be just you know taking it over. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Annex Queanbeyan. I've been saying this. They, they have proper we'll pubs there, which is attractive. <laughs> I've always thought we should get down to the bay. Like, you yeah. Know, yeah, the greater <laughs> ACT. You know, that's yeah. that's what I'm for. Yeah. Um, um, but I you think let's face it, New South Wales. Well, New South Wales is just Newcastle, Sydney, Wollongong, mate. They don't care about this part mm-hmm. of the world. No. But yeah, anyway, no, we can take the good yeah. bit. But I think your point, Jacob, about um, an attitudinal shift towards collectivist responses and to the necessity of well-functioning government mm. um, is a hundred percent. Like it's it's flipped mm. um, really quite rapidly because we can see what it looks like um, to not to not be able to deploy those sorts of things in the right sorts of ways. Now, the, the other thing, just to flip it back to the practice, I mean, okay, that's the, I think, yeah, excellent. Oh, well, that point. just goes to the, as a sort of the, the momentum of the left and the sort of question of is yeah. it a victory for the left? That itself is, mm, a, is a huge victory so. for the yep. left. Yeah, no, that's look, that's that's very good. And I think the, the other part of what was very good was the number of activists with particular uh, campaigns was, was mm. very, very good. Um, I, I mean, I guess... The thing that's a bit of a contradiction, though, of what I find with the Greens' result is it wasn't clear to me that it didn't feel like they had heaps of people doing, doing stalls. I, I barely, like, I mean, having done stalls and 
doing doing things around town. I barely said, see them. It's, they said they had um, like, five hundred activists yeah, um, right. campaigning, prop, like sort of uh, doing consistent um, sort of part time campaigning yeah, all the way right. through, which is I'd say fairly low, probably compared yeah, to the labor the labor parties. Mm. Probably more what the liberal parties have going yeah. around. Yep. I mean, they aren't dwarfed by by ACT Labor. I mean, ACT. Mm. Well, not, I don't know what the numbers are now, but we we got up to fourteen hundred um, last year. Mm. Um, so, and then from last last, I understand we're still fairly stable. Like we got to the point where one in one hundred electors is a member of the, the Labor mm. Party, which is pretty amazing. But you now, campaigns like Tim Dobson, like you know, a very large number of activists and the like. Mm. Uh, there are others that ha- had people who were paid. To a campaign for them but uh, definitely a, a big army of, of volunteers there that was probably an edge that, mm. that, that Labor had uh, and brought in some new ones that was that was good um, yeah big I don't know win for progressive politics but for, for me I think the, the defeat bit is that the the, the left and Labor mm. Uh, mm. had a real problem where mm-hmm. uh, maybe it's because of our um, funding laws that we have um, we have a situation where I think there's a not a very there's a problematic culture with some unions in in labour who have seem to have adopted the Victorian or New South Wales disease to some extent, where they literally seem to think that they can put up candidates and own them, mm. and they provide lots of money, and they don't seem to actually ask the right questions about well who are these candidates are they connected are they actually from here and do they have any profile at all, um do they have any or was the point is the other question is like. Why are these unions, a number of unions, uh, spending ridiculous amounts of money of their members' resources on campaigning for people who, well, let's face it, Tim Dobson did better than a number of these mm. labels. These are union back candidates who, um, and he did that without any union mm. money at all. Mm. Um, that's something that people should have a good, hard think about. And what are, what is it that ACT unions are doing? I mean, they, I know the CPSU talked about, they, they ran a kind of a scare thing about, you know, the Liberals are going to privatise the public service mm. and that was somehow a justification to vote for their, their candidate and courage on. It was sort of quite strange. It's like, well, what are you doing in the workplace to do? Mm. What's, those, ha- those? what's happening with your membership? What are you doing in your membership, um, mate? Yeah. Like, mm. you know, yeah. What is the membership doing? Mm. I think there are two things in that and I... On the first thing, I don't, and I don't know how much this translates across to the Greens, but it seems to me that the campaign strategy posture for the ALP is one of trying to keep a lid on electoral arms races within the party. Mm. Um, and it almost never works because there's almost always a way around it and the, and the union factor plays in mm. quite strongly to that. And I think this year it was also buggered up a bit by um, by COVID. So some of the caution around COVID was translated in interesting ways by different people to their benefit. Um, I don't know if the, if the other parties have... I suspect the Libs do and that's why they change their candidates every five seconds, but I don't know if the Greens do and whether they'll... Uh, evolve into that because you the power dynamics right and power just generally makes people horrible um and it's difficult to navigate power and we've had been having this conversation in the party and the left for a really long time about how to use power justly and rightly and so there's nervousness around these things and so there are all these rules that i think speak to some of the disadvantages that contain rather than maximize the potential of a volunteer-led campaign Mm. um i think your point about unions ben is a really interesting one 
And one of the questions that I have or of sort of the thoughts that I've been having is there needs to be something more tangible than the government's going to outsource jobs because that what does that what does that mean if you're a public servant you probably know what that means and that's a, and so you kind of read that through a job protection um lens but there's got to be something about what kind of community and society and city mm. we want yeah. and there needs to be and if and if unions want to find that message and run that all power to them but i think one of the reasons that maybe some of those union back campaigns weren't as successful is because that they don't have a message that's translating well to what people need to do and this kind of goes back to my earlier point about covid what are the messages now around social cohesion around community connection around the kind of world we want to live in around how we want to balance our work and our family about how we want to contribute to our community and to our society about how we want to be safe and sheltered unions have got something to say on that so why not why not Mm. say that so when you i think when you're narrowing it to a, a quite narrow industrial issue that might not play out well in the in the kind of broader complexity of the moment that we're having politically yep absolutely um so uh the kind of material outcome of all this is that um the left has lost one of its um Mm. one of its mlas in the in the in the sort of legislature caucus Mm -hmm. so um that'd be in murrumbidgee beck cody's lost her seat to uh marissa patterson um and marissa i believe is um not um as far as we know um aligned to a Mm -hmm. faction but um, it does effectively um, give a, a number to the to the right, yeah. so um, that's the outcome. Yeah. Um, so yeah, in that sense, um, for this specific um, question of what's the outcome for the the labour left, mm. um, it's not good. Mm. Yeah, mm. it's not good. And I think the thing that needs to happen now is for I think if you're an activist involved in ACT Labour in the left or or interested in getting involved. Um, right now is a good time to get involved. They'll mm. be doing um, the noble gazing for the next little bit, but forget you know we can look at and learn But right now is the time to um, actually get behind um, groupings of people who want to continue the campaign and build a, a far more robust message about connecting with the community and running um, politics. That actually, um, you know, is about tangibly changing people's material circumstances. So job protection and, and all, all those other things, all very good. Build mm. on those those things. Um, that has, that has to happen now. I think it's one something we've talked about in the past was the actual politics really starts to hit reset and the politics is about where we are. Um, there needs to be some fundamental changes, mm. I think, in the left in terms of how it's selecting its candidates um, and maybe some thought given by some of our mm. candidates who have been re-elected in the party generally. Um, it's, it's a bit... Um, there's no succession planning that you can really point to. There's a uh, wonderful um, situation where the the left basically agreed to just automatically pre-select sitting members. Mm. Um, I think that was crazy. Um, that was like a real um, shift away from this idea that, well, everyone's, you know, everyone can have a go. Um, that was a democratic thing, but this idea, and it blew up in their face because those that you know, well, the pre-selected unpopular sitting, you know, members, you, yeah. you pre-selected one that was unpopular, mm-hmm. um, you know, for whatever reasons. Mm. But that's that's not good. And um, how um, how institutions in the left actually behave is something they should have a really big old think about, because playing kingmaker might actually be a little bit more 
to be successful, you might need to do a little bit more than just control those who you can pay. Mm. Um, mm. You know, if you actually want to actually deliver real change to working people. Yeah. Well, there's a similar dynamic now um, in the Liberal Party. Um, yeah. We've seen so uh, because of the the results um, in the in the Liberal Party, uh, their own kind of caucus, um, the the mods have have. Um, Kind of come back into the majority mm. there, and which and so we've seen. Um, we'll write home about that just yet. Yeah, no, no, exactly, For, so, certainly not. But um, it does mean Elizabeth Lee's yeah. gone up as the, the new Liberal leader, yeah. and um, Gary Kent, former uh, former president, president yeah, yeah. Um, he's got a, a letter to the editor in the Canberra Times mm. um, talking about democratizing as well. So mm. I mean, of course, you know, first and foremost, this is a sort of radical democratic yeah. podcast. Yeah. Um, um, of course, we're also socialists, but. Uh, that's a good thing. Like, We're all for people uh, having, having democracy. Democracy. Yeah, we've we've <laughs> given we've given Tony Abbott his his due yeah. in the past yeah. um, for his uh, dem- dem- democratization yeah. push, uh, and the Warringah branch. <laughs> good, good on you, Tony. Good on you, Tony. Um, nice on tones. Yeah, but uh, yeah, no. So um, that's interesting. Yeah. I think yeah, you're right though that um, uh, if you're a, a sort of small liberal professional, mm. don't be counting those chickens before they hatch. Yeah. Um, very well could be seeing basically a repeat of the sort of Malcolm Turnbull dynamic yeah. where. You know, uh, sort of, uh, you know, uh, yeah, yeah. likable um, yeah. and articulate, progressive, social progressive gets in yeah. at the top of a liberal party that is still festering with like deep reaction. Oh, and just horrible people. Yeah. Let's just yeah. say it. And I, I, I shared that thing with you this morning. The, the young ACT libs have come out in support of this dumbass letter in South Australia from um, the lib opposing abortion law reform. Mm. It's like. This is not the electorate to go down that path, and yet that's what the young libs are running it's quite with. Bizarre. Um, and if the young libs are the next generation and they're behind, you know, that's where the labor comes from, that's where the volunteers come from, that's where the, the dirty politics come from. If that's what's behind yeah. <laughs> Elizabeth Lee, that's problematic. Yeah. Um, yeah. So if, if this, if this, if this moment of contemplation doesn't leave the assembly and in and and infiltrate the rest of the libs, then I think we'll just see this continuing to churn mm. and, and play out. Yeah, and look, and that does get us to um, the interesting development, which was uh, the libs using the the right conservative wing. Understand, mm. was reported in legacy media talking about um, bringing forward pre-selection. Yeah, for um, Z. You know, yeah. so for Z. Yeah. So good old Z. The, the national implications are already sort of, you know, kicking off. Yeah. Mm. Where Z's obviously had a massive scare yeah. uh, over the fact that they did done so badly mm. uh, and is going, oh, well, before the, before before the, the election party comes yeah. out. Yeah, before yeah. they've even actually gone and looked at the tea leaves as to why did yeah. we do so bad, they've brought forward pre-selection for their federal candidates for a federal election, mm. um, which, you know, on the face of it, um, you know, they're not... They're, yeah, no, it's, it's up there in, with the machinations we get used to. It's, mm. it's the sort of thing you'd expect in, um, uh, you know, New South Wales or Victorian mm. Labor or something like that, mm. that sort of um, behaviour there. But that's pretty amazing. Yeah. Um, all power to the democracy in the Liberal Party, yeah. I say. I, I, yeah. um, I think it was Malcolm Farr was actually opining yeah. that Zed could actually be in trouble at the next Senate election. Yeah. Um, do you guys mm. think that's realistic? Did the Greens could take Zed's uh, Senate? I don't think or the not Greens really? can... No. Yeah. I think another lib could take it. Yeah. But he I mean he's got to be one of the laziest senators yeah. um in the Senate right now yeah. and probably ever in ACT history. Like he is nowhere man. Um I don't think that flips it for the Greens though. I think mm, yeah. I think this electorate is too used to voting mm. one each way. Yeah. And there's also uh, there's Exactly, like a very reasonable argument to be made. Because otherwise, because he's, he's a terrible government. candidate, oh, they keep yeah. electing him. Yeah. 
yeah. but it's the party machine behind him, yeah, isn't it? Sure, that's, like, right. that's and that's oh, um, yeah, yeah. It probably mean, looks like not to be a, about to change. But I did, yeah. I did want to circle back, Ben, to your comment about bringing it, bringing it back to ACT territory um, politics. Mm-hmm. The point you made about what are the structures in the party, and I think one of the things for me. Um, and I think this this quite showed with Tim's campaign, but I think it also emerges from this new dynamic from COVID about community cohesion and support. Um, this idea that there's a machine that you set and forget and the machine keeps working and it, it manages the business of democracy and politics, um, I think it needs a really significant examination. Um, and so you're talking about left faction pre-selection and things like that, whereas I'm thinking, I want to see people out in the community campaigning mm-hmm. at their local level for mm-hmm. what that community needs. Yep. And if that translates into credibility for you to be pre-selected in four years, four years time, yeah. great. But I would rather see people doing that at mm-hmm. that community level, leveraging all those community welfare groups that have been created, hearing those messages about, I want what's best for my community. And that's a complicated and intersecting set of policies around who's mowing the lawn, how safe I feel, whether yeah. there's a bus, can I access social services um, rather than diverting that effort into spending the next four years in factional meetings? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. You'd, Sorry, you'd, I'm, you'd, I'm, here, oh, no, I'm no. here to say I, the factional meetings are killing me I, and I don't like yeah, that. I agree with you. I agree 100%. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And that's, I think you and just outlined the strategy for how do you get uh, genuine, connected, um, socialists yeah. with a community. It's doing and exactly what we, you said the there. The left can empower its yeah. members to act and think yeah. and behave in that and yeah. can provide a support yeah. system around that and mentoring and coaching yeah. and lesson learning. Yeah. But we have to decide that that's that, they're, that we're doing that because we're building genuine capability yeah. and political credibility yeah. um, through, a, through a lens left because it's important for our community mm. And it makes us better, better representatives. So I'd rather we focus on how the left can pivot into meaningful community engagement and action over the next four years, Mm. not on how do we pre-select randos who stand the best chance of election. Yeah, try to come up with a new prescription or a new rule or something like that. No, it's not going to be the way to do it. And or or going to meetings where anyway. Yeah, meetings can be fun, but can they all be by Zoom forever? Thank you. Um, well, um, as you can probably hear, um, dear listener, um, we're, we're, we're of course recording this in a, you know, at the Polish Club where there's a working kitchen and um, our beloved chef Adam is currently hammering out the delicious pork schnitzels. And they are awesome. And they are good. <laughs> uh, so maybe Apologies to our vegetarians and Maybe that's listeners. a good, is that a good uh, place to leave it there? Or have you got anything else? Any final, oh. final thoughts? Ah. Oh. Well, maybe we'll come back and do part yeah. two. No, no. I, look, on the whole though, I'm... It's been great talking about like you know it's a, it's all progressive it's all good uh, and, and I think however there's there's obviously some real challenges there and some people that should have a really good hard think about what they want to do mm. over the next four years and I think mm. yeah getting the community like Amy said is spot on so you've been listening to Dole Capital and we love talking about democratic socialist politics and interacting with our community ACT and beyond in the world and we'll um we're going to if you like this show, subscribe. Mm-hmm. Uh, give us, leave us a review, leave Please. us a rating. You know, yep. we'll be um, taking it more seriously as people take <laughs> us more seriously. Mm. Yeah, uh, you can send us an email at doll capital, so it's d o h k a p i t a l at gmail dot com, or we've got a Twitter handle of at doll capital. Uh, you can check out. But another special coming up soon. It's Arm Sisters Day on the 11th of November or Christmas for Fascists, as it gets called in the UK. 
Um, we're going to have a little talk about the ministry, I think. Yeah, I think so. It's going to be really good. Yeah, because um, um, in the recent, a lot. Yeah, some recent stories um, that uh, you might have seen. Um, all crimes in the SAS and all that. So we'll be talking about that. That'll be great. But for the meantime, thank you so much, Amy Haddad, for joining us and for a great discussion. Well, thank you for having me. It's been loads of fun. Cool. Thank you, Amy.